Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Thursday, September 20th, 2018. Broadcasting from the Beantown USA studio. Beantown USA is Boston's home for customized screen printing and embroidery. Get more information on their website, beantownusa.com. Today's show is presented by DraftKings. You can play for free at DraftKings.com or on the DraftKings app by using promo code PICK. P-I-C, that's promo code PICK, P-I-C. And at DraftKings, there are no season-long commitments. Week 3 in the NFL is upon us, and I have the perfect contest for you to enter. Sign up right now for the $1.7 million play action for Sunday's Week 3 slate. 1.7 mil in total prizes with 100000 going to first place. Just pick your team and follow the action live on your DraftKings app. And on today's show, I'll be giving you my DraftKings Gotta Have Them Play for Sunday. And in the meantime, you can sign up for free once again by using promo code PICK, P-I-C. That's promo code PICK, P-I-C, at DraftKings.com. Today's show is also presented by Bet Online. Join the Bet Online Pick'em Contest and you can win $25,000. Sign up today at betonline.ag and use promo code PODCAST1. That's promo code PODCAST1 at betonline.ag to receive a 50% bonus. With college football and the NFL underway, now is the perfect time to make your online wages at betonline.ag and take full advantage of the best bonuses in the business. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts and also the exclusive partner of Podcast One Sportsnet, BetOnline.ag. Welcome to the show on this Thursday, September 20th. I will give you my picks for Week 3 in the NFL. Like I told you, I'll also give you my DraftKings. Got to have them play for Sunday's slate. We got a lot going on, a lot going on. There's NBA trade rumors with Jimmy Butler. There's the Major League Baseball postseason race, and here in Boston, we have our eyes on the Red Sox-Yankees series that is currently going on in the Bronx in New York, and the Red Sox have dropped the first two games of this three-game series. Sox have a chance to clinch if they can win this third one tonight on this Thursday, September 20th. Now, maybe you all listening to this show on Friday, and that game is already complete. Um, bottom line is this. We'll look back at the, at least the first two games of this series and uh, try to figure out what went wrong. I mean, the Red Sox are going to clinch the division, right? The magic number, as I record this today on Thursday morning, heading into the third game of this three-game series in the Bronx, the magic number for the Red Sox to clinch the AL East is two. So they just have to beat the Yankees. Or they have to win after this series in Cleveland and hope that the Yankees lose another game, which is going to happen. The Red Sox are going to clinch the division. It would be nice to clinch it in the Bronx, wouldn't it? It'd be nice to clinch it in the Bronx. So uh, we'll talk Red Sox. We'll get to some baseball. I have some issues with maybe the lineup that the Red Sox are throwing out. Surprisingly, I don't have many issues with David Price, even though on Wednesday night it didn't look good. But uh, I'll get to that uh, in just a bit. So you got some NBA news, some Major League Baseball postseason stuff with regards to the postseason race. The postseason will begin in just a couple weeks. I'll also close out the show with some thoughts on... A meeting that I went to last night in Southie. I'm born and raised in Southie, still living there. I've never left, and I most likely won't be leaving. 
But uh, there was an important meeting for the neighborhood last night. I'll, I'll close out the show with that. I understand I have a much larger audience than just people in South Boston uh, or in the Boston city of Boston at all. I, I, my audience, you know, goes beyond that. So I understand not everybody is interested in that. I'll, I'll bury that until the end, all right, to close out the show. I'm not going to bury the lead today, though. I'm not. I'm not going to bury the lead because the lead is the National Football League. And more specifically, the lead is a story that I was unable to react to on Monday, the last time I talked to you, because we record this show in the mornings, early in the morning, on Monday and Thursdays. Two shows a week, but sometimes, you know, you'll record that show on a Monday morning or a Thursday morning and a a piece of breaking news will come out in the afternoon and I'll be kicking myself. Uh, Now, I did write a column in the Boston Metro newspaper, which you can also get on the Boston Metro website, metro.us. I wrote a column on this top story and this bit of news that broke on Monday afternoon after I recorded and released Monday's podcast. And that top story is that the New England Patriots have traded for Josh Gordon. Wide receiver Josh Gordon, 27 years old, uh, has spent his career with the Cleveland Browns. And, you know, it's been a couple years since this guy has played in a full season because he has some issues, right? Josh Gordon has some issues. Everybody knows about his issues. Substance abuse, some alcohol problems. We all know about that. Um... You know, part of your feels for the kid, right? Because it's like you got so much talent and he's been unable to just strictly focus on his craft. And, and he hasn't been able to, to, to rid himself of the demons that, that he deals with every day. I mean, it's an addiction, right? That, that, it's an addiction. It's a serious thing. And I think we need to take that into consideration when we do have the Josh Gordon discussion. Now, that said... When you look at this from a Patriots perspective, from a football perspective, the Josh Gordon trade to the New England Patriots, in some people's eyes, is a controversial topic because when this trade was made, or at least announced on Monday, I heard some people coming out saying, oh, the Patriots don't need this kind of drama. They don't need to get themselves involved in the Josh Gordon drama or in Josh Gordon's life at all. They don't need to, they don't need to get themselves involved in it. They'll, they'll be fine without Josh Gordon. Why, why are you going to trade a fifth-round pick for this kid when you don't even know if he's going to be able to get his life together? Um, those people who are out there saying that, and I wrote this in my column, they're either ratings-hungry radio hosts in this town, or maybe even in other towns, national hosts, or they're just complete morons. Like, the idea that you look at this trade, Patriots give up a fifth-round pick to the Cleveland Browns for Josh Gordon. The idea that in this league, in the NFL, that you would think there's any issue at all with the Patriots making this trade is moronic. I mean, this is the NFL, a league in which contracts are not guaranteed, a league in which... You can just cut anybody at any time. You know, unless you got one of these guys who has like the $60 million guaranteed. Josh Gordon isn't one of those guys. Josh Gordon can be a restricted free agent after this season. Josh Gordon is on the books this year for what? What is it, 700000 I mean, and part of this trade is that if Josh Gordon doesn't play 10 games, if he does not play 10 games with the Patriots, the Patriots get a seventh round pick back. Right? So basically, they'll just be moving 
in the draft from the fifth to the seventh round if he doesn't play 10 games. But for all the people that are out there going, oh, the Josh Gordon, you know, the Patriots don't need to deal with the Josh Gordon drama. They don't need to bring that into their locker room, into their organization. I tell you what, the, I, look, I don't know how long the Josh Gordon experiment is going to last. I mean, for all we know, he gets cut tomorrow. For all we know, the breaking news later today that I won't be able to talk about on Monday, for all we know, the, the breaking news today will be Josh Gordon has been released by the New England Patriots. I don't know. Maybe he does something today at practice. Maybe he shows up late. I have no idea. But I will tell you this. He will be on a short leash. He will be on a short leash. And because of that, and because we're in a league where you could just cut anybody at any time, the Patriots would be crazy to not make this trade. I don't understand how you could look at this thing, seeing what the Patriots need. They obviously need a wide receiver, right? Especially with Julian Edelman suspended through week four on that PED suspension. They need help in that spot. You give up a fifth-round pick to get a kid with this much talent in a league in which you can just cut him whenever you want. It's low-risk, high-reward. This is a trade that the Patriots would be crazy not to make. You know, I had this similar sentiment with the Des Bryant stuff a couple weeks ago where I said, you know, everyone talking about the Des Bryant drama, you don't want to bring that into your organization. Well, I'm like... All right, if you brought him into the organization and he created drama, you'd say, turn in your playbook and see you later. You'd walk him to his car and it's over. It's done. You don't have to deal with it anymore. So when you have that type of luxury, especially with a kid like this who's under a very small contract, you're not committing all this crazy money to him. To me, this is the, the mere definition of low risk, high reward. I mean, this is like jackpot-level reward stuff. If this works out, I don't know if it's going to work out. I can't, I'm not sitting here telling you today. I'm not, I'm, I'm not sitting here guaranteeing you that the Josh Gordon trade is going to work out for the New England Patriots, but I am telling you because this is a league where you can cut somebody at any time, and he's not on the books for a lot of money, and they do need a wide receiver, I'm just telling you that the Patriots would be crazy not to make this trade. This is a no-brainer, in my opinion. Right? No-brainer. Because the Patriots are only going to be as committed to Josh Gordon as Josh Gordon is committed to the Patriots. That's it. The Patriots are going to be committed to Josh Gordon only as much as Josh Gordon is going to be committed to the Patriots. And if there's a mere moment or a second that it looks like he's acting up a little bit, Bill Belichick is going to release him, is going to cut him, is going to tell him to go home. Right? Going to tell him to go home. So, I, I, I have no problem with this trade. In fact, I love the trade. Because again, if it doesn't work out, it's not like, you know, if he acts up and he shows up late to a practice or something and you have to cut him, it's not like he's ruined the organization. It's not like the Patriots won't have the same level of success that they would have had if they didn't bring him into the organization. So, I mean... I just think it's a little crazy to go off on all these rants, how the Patriots, oh, this is a crazy move. They should have never done this. Look, the Patriots have taken on guys with flaws before. They have. And they've made some work. Some of them haven't worked. But they've taken the gamble. But I think gamble is a very strong word in this situation. I do. I think it's a very strong word. You know, when you do look a little deeper into Josh Gordon's issues, I told you alcohol problems, 
uh, substance abuse issues. He, he had the suspensions, as we all know about in this league. I mean, Cleveland tries to say that, you know, they're trading him because the last straw was was Josh Gordon showing up the day before the New Orleans game last week, showing up to their team meeting a little late, and he had a hamstring injury on top of it, and it was a hamstring injury that he suffered at a photo shoot for a non-team event. I mean, they're saying that the hamstring injury at the photo shoot at a non-team event and being late to the meeting the day before the New Orleans game last week, they're saying that was like, is, is when they put their foot down. I mean, let's be honest. If you have been paying attention to Josh Gordon's career, I think you know that that hamstring injury that he suffered, whenever it was, is probably the least of Cleveland's concerns with him, right? So we know why they got rid of him. I mean, we know the issues, right? We know the issues. But if we're going to be real about those issues, if we're going to be real about it, what if Josh Gordon just needs to be placed in a winning, successful environment? What if, what, like, what if that's the fix? And, you know, if that is the fix, no better place for Josh Gordon to be than with the New England Patriots. One, two, while you're with the New England Patriots, certainly no better place to be other than sitting next to Tom Brady because that is exactly where they put Josh Gordon's locker, right next to Tom Brady's locker. He practiced on Wednesday wearing jersey number 10. I don't know if he's going to play Sunday night on Sunday Night Football with, you know, the world watching on NBC. Game of the week, Patriots-Lions, Matt Patricia, former Patriots defensive coordinator, trying to figure things out with the Lions. Patriots a six and a half favorite on the road in this one. Patriots coming off a loss to the Jacksonville Jaguars, a game in which the Patriots, I told you, looked like absolute dog shit, in which I questioned the coaching, I think, more than anything. I questioned the play calling with the Patriots in that game against Jacksonville, and I think they'll bounce back strong, and I, I, I think they're going to make it a point to make Matt Patricia look foolish. Uh, and, and, and so, you know, is this the game that Josh Gordon plays in? I, I don't know, and if he does, what, how large will his role be? I don't know. The answers to those questions, I don't know if Josh Gordon will be a success with the Patriots, but what I do know is that the Patriots would have been crazy not to make this trade given what they gave up, a fifth-round pick, given the type of talent level that Josh Gordon has, given what they need at the wide receiver position, and given the fact that they're in a league where you could just cut him if he does act up, and then you wash your hands clean and you say, hey, we gave it a shot, it didn't work out, we'll move on with what we got because we have Julian Edelman coming back in Week 5. I mean, to me, if you're complaining about this trade, you're a, you know, rating-starved radio host, or you're a complete moron. Because this is not a bad deal for the Patriots. And the minute it begins to look bad, the minute Bill Belichick will cut Josh Gordon, and uh, you'll see the breaking news, Josh Gordon has been released by the New England Patriots. And the Patriots will move on. And I, I don't know what would happen to Josh Gordon at that point. Obviously, the there should be a lot of people concerned about his well-being, but perhaps seems like maybe a crazy idea to some people. I don't think it's that crazy. Maybe you put a kid with this type of talent in a winning environment, take him out of Cleveland where they lose every year, you know, take him out of, out of the Browns organization, the shit show that is the Browns organization, and put him right next to Tom Brady. Put him right next to Tom Brady. No better place for a kid like that. Right? 
So let's see how it works out. Will he play Sunday night against Detroit? And if he does, how much will he play? I have no idea. I have no idea. But the top story is Josh Gordon traded to the Patriots. I did not get to react to that on Monday, so here I am reacting to it right now, and I'm telling you that Josh Gordon, this is a move that the Patriots had to make. They would have been crazy not to make it. So let's just sit back and see how it works out. He's got to gain Tom Brady's trust. It's the most important thing. We've seen Philip Dorsett do it here early in the season. Philip Dorsett has gained Tom Brady's trust. That's a nice little relationship you're seeing on the field with those two guys. Can Josh Gordon do the same? You know, maybe Josh Gordon is used as somebody who they just send him down the field. He's going to get help over the top. It's going to open some things up underneath, maybe for those dump-offs to James White and Rex Burkhead, right? Maybe it's going to open up some things underneath uh, to Kadaro Patterson. And, And Patterson, if he doesn't fall on his ass, with an opportunity to get a first down and move the chains. Maybe it opens up some stuff for him as well on those dump-offs to give him that extra second or two to make that big move and to create that big play. I, I, I just don't know how you could be upset with the Josh Gordon trade. All we can do now, though, is wait and see how this thing works out for the New England Patriots and maybe most importantly for Josh Gordon. Uh, but, uh... That said, that's the biggest story. Some people in this town here in New England want to focus on this new book that's out on Belichick and, and Brady and their relationship. I mean, I'm, I'm just tired of these books and these reports and, you know, people digging on, on whether or not Brady and Belichick like each other. Who cares at this point? Honestly, who cares? We're not really going to get the full truth, I don't think, until either Brady or Belichick writes a book. That's when we get the truth. And those books aren't coming, you know, for another 10 years. So, I, right now, I don't care. The season's begun. I'll tell you this. The only thing I do know that's true with Belichick and Brady is that they are both on the same page about one thing, and that's winning right now. That's winning Sunday night in Detroit. And I'm just fine with that. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just fine with that. If they're on the same page with that, with winning, I'm just fine with it. I am. And instead of everybody continuing to complain about their relationship, how about we embrace the fact that they still have one? Because before you know it, these two are going to be bronzed in Canton and Sundays are going to be so fucking depressing for us, it's not going to be funny. So embrace it. Stop complaining. Embrace. Please. Please. Week three is upon us. And week three in the NFL uh, will begin Thursday Night Football The Cleveland Browns are hosting the New York Jets, and I'm not usually fired up for Thursday Night Football, but I'm actually pretty excited to see this game. You know, I did watch Cleveland on Hard Knocks, and maybe that's why it was a very good season of Hard Knocks, one of the best yet, if not the best, I thought. But um, I'm just curious to see what Cleveland's going to look like moving forward. Cleveland is at home against the Jets, and they're a three-point favorite. The Cleveland Browns are a three-point favorite. This is the first time that Cleveland is a home favorite since week 14 of the 2015 season. And, you know, I was actually, when I did some digging, I was surprised to see that the Browns were actually a favorite last year. Could you believe that? I didn't know this. The Browns were a favorite last year on the road in Indianapolis against Jacoby Brissett and the Colts. Now, if Andrew Luck was playing in that game in Indy, the Browns would not have been favored. But it was, what, early last year, week three, on the road in Indy, the Browns were a a one-and-a-half-point favorite. 
But the last time they were a favorite at home was 2015. And the Browns on Thursday Night Football begin week three as a three-point favorite hosting the Jets. I have no idea what you're going to see in that game. So my advice would be to stay away from it. It would. My advice would be to stay away from it. So that's how week three begins. Week three is going to end on Monday Night Football with the 2-0 Tampa Bay Buccaneers hosting the winless Pittsburgh Steelers. The Steelers 0-1-1 to begin the season. But the Buccaneers, I mean, they are hot out of the gate. You cannot give that quarterback job back to Jameis Winston when he returns from a suspension. You just can't do it. Ryan Fitzpatrick is their guy. You hear it from players on that team. He's led them to two wins to begin, to begin the season. And I'm shocked to see Tampa Bay at home against Pittsburgh. Tampa Bay's a one-point dog. They're an underdog at home. I don't necessarily agree with that because Tampa Bay, they haven't just won their first two games of the season. They beat New Orleans in New Orleans. What they score? 48 points. And then they beat the defending champion Philadelphia Eagles. So it's not like you're beating two schmucks. You're beating two good teams that could be playoff teams or battling for a playoff spot with you. So Tampa Bay's at a nice start to the season. That's Fitzpatrick's team right now. You got to stick with him. I think as long as you can, as long as you can get success out of him. But uh, Tampa Bay, one point dog at home against a Pittsburgh team that's looking for their first win, a Pittsburgh team that. They had a little comeback against Kansas City at home last week, but Patrick Mahomes, what, he throw six touchdowns against them? I mean, it's just Pittsburgh. They got the Le'Veon Bell situation. Antonio Brown didn't show up on Monday. They got drama. And they're a favorite on the road in this one? I don't know about that. Um, I question that, that spread. So uh, that's how week three will end on Monday Night Football. And then, of course, the game of the week, Sunday Night Football, Patriots in Detroit against the Lions, and I do not think that things bode well for the Lions in this one with the Patriots coming off a loss against Jacksonville. And not just a loss, but a loss in which the Patriots looked terrible. Patriots looked horrible, and even if Josh Gordon is not in the mix Sunday night, I still expect the Patriots to go out of their way to throw the football, throw the football, throw the football, and try to embarrass Matt Patricia's defense. Much like, you know, the Jets did in that first game of the season. I, I just I think the Patriots are going to go into Detroit, and I think they're going to slap them around. I think they're going to be extra motivated because they're coming off that loss against the Jaguars. And, um, you know, also because Patricia's on the other side. So that's how week three looks from the national TV standpoint, which, you know, I'm not, I told you I'm not going to bury the lead, so I'm going to get right to my picks right now. And then I'll get to the other stuff. I'll get to the Major League Baseball stuff, the NBA stuff. And even, uh, I, I told you, I have to react to a meeting that I went to last night here in Selty with regards to some development that they're trying to, uh, you know, they, these, these guys come in and they just keep developing in the neighborhood and they're trying to put a hotel and a thousand plus units right smack dab in the neighborhood. And it's just a wacky plan. And I was at the meeting last night. I'm going to react to that, but I'm going to, I'm going to get to my picks right now and, I'll begin with my DraftKings got to have him play for week three, for Sunday's slate. Again, promo code PICK, P-I-C, at DraftKings.com to play for free with your first deposit. Promo code PICK, P-I-C, at DraftKings.com. Last week was better for me as I gave you Deshaun Watson as my got to have him play for Sunday. He got you 27 points. Wasn't great. Wasn't like Patrick Mahomes or Ben Roethlisberger, but... 
you know, it was decent. It was better than week one where I gave you Kareem Hunt and he didn't do anything for you. So I'm improving week by week. I feel like the easy pick in your DraftKings lineup and my DraftKings got to have him play. The easy play here would be to take one of the two running backs on the Minnesota Vikings. Now, you might have to wait until Sunday morning to see who's going to get that start because Dalvin Cook is dealing with an injury. Dalvin Cook at 7,100 or his backup Latavius Murray at 5,800. I just feel like that's an easy pick because Minnesota is at home against the Buffalo Bills. And when you look at what Melvin Gordon did last week in Buffalo, man, it just seems like an easy pick to take the running back. Whoever's, if Cook's healthy, you take him. If not, you take Murray. I mean, Melvin Gordon, three touchdowns. You got to think that one of Minnesota's running backs is going to do something. That, that might be the easy pick at home against Buffalo. But uh, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go easy. I'm not, it's almost too obvious to where maybe, maybe that game won't be as much of a blowout as people think. I, look, I picked that game. I, I'll save it for my picks. I'll, I'll save the breakdown of that game, Minnesota-Buffalo, for my picks. But I don't know, take, maybe taking one of the running backs in Minnesota is a little too obvious. I, so I'm going to take someone else for my DraftKings. Got to have him play for week three. Now, I'm sticking with a running back. It's not the most expensive running back in week three, who's Alvin Kamara of the New Orleans Saints at 9,500. That's New Orleans is in Atlanta. Maybe that's a shootout. And Kamara would obviously be part of that. But 9,500 for one, ah, it's too high. But I'm sticking with a running back. You got to have Jordan Howard of the Chicago Bears. Jordan Howard. The Bears are in Arizona Sunday at 425. The Bears are 1-1. One one. They're coming off a win over Seattle at home on Monday Night Football. Now, Jordan Howard has not had a great start to the season. He's yet to score a touchdown this year. But I am telling you right now, Jordan Howard will have a couple touchdowns Sunday at 425 in Arizona. When I look at what running backs have done to the Cardinals so far this season, the Cardinals are 0-2. I don't think you need me to remind you of that. They just got whooped by the Rams last week. And Todd Gurley, running back for the Rams, three rushing touchdowns in that win. Going back to week one, Arizona lost to the Washington Redskins. Adrian Peterson turning back the clock, 96 rush yards and a touchdown, rushing touchdown in that week one game. So running backs are thriving against Arizona and I expect that to be the same for Jordan Howard. So you can book it. Jordan Howard is going to have at least one touchdown, maybe two. This is going to be his biggest game of the year so far. My DraftKings, got to have him play, is Jordan Howard of the Chicago Bears at 6500 bucks. I like the value here. I like the player. I like the well, I don't like the team he's going up against, but I like the matchup for Howard against that team in the Arizona Cardinals defense. Jordan Howard at 6500 bucks is my DraftKings. Got to have him play for Sunday slate. And again, go to DraftKings.com and use promo code PICK, P-I-C, to play for free with your first deposit. And that brings me to Picks Picks for Week 3 in the NFL. Hit the music! Picks Picks for Week 3 as part of the Podcast One Sportsnet Challenge is presented by Bet Online. Join the Bet Online Pick'em Contest and you can win $25,000. Sign up today at betonline.ag and use promo code PODCAST1 
to receive a 50% bonus. That's promo code PODCAST1 at betonline.ag to receive a 50% bonus. And with college football and the NFL in full swing, now is the perfect time to make your online wages at betonline.ag and take full advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts and also the exclusive partner of Podcast One Sportsnet, betonline.ag. So I went 3-2 and two with my picks in Week 2. I went 4-1 and one in Week 1, which means my record on the season is 7-3, and three, as you know. Part of the Podcast One Sportsnet Challenge. We are not picking with the spread. We're just picking straight up winners. And if you want to check out the weekly standings or the season-long standings, you can go to podcastonesportsnet.com. I enter week number three in a tie for third place. I need a bounce up. Look, I'm close to the top of the mountain. Much closer than the guys in the basement like Shaq, Adam Carolla, Chael Sonnen, uh, those guys, they're in the basement, right? We, we're not like them. I'm closer to the top of the mountain than those guys, and uh, I'm in striking distance, so I kind of need a perfect week. You should be rooting for me to have a perfect week, first of all, because if I win, the winner of each week gets five $100 credits for Bet Online, which I'll be giving out to you, to my audience, right? We'll call it, what do we call them? Credit cards at betonline.ag, five of them. Five separate $100 credits that'll be given to my audience if I win any single week. Now, there's also a prize at the end of the season, which is really my ultimate goal to win at the end of the season. And if you want that to be your ultimate goal, too, you can actually go to podcastonesportsnet.com and you can click the link to place a wager on me. That's right. You can place a wager on me to win the whole damn thing at the end of the year. I begin this contest as a heavy underdog at plus 1200 now i have the third best odds at plus 900 in this contest plus 900 the third best odds and if you ask me that's an easy 900 bucks that you could win if you put 100 bucks on me to win the podcast one sportsnet challenge so just something to think about for you you know you're an adult you can make your own decisions but it's just something to throw out there go to podcastonesportsnet.com to check all of that out but this contest is a point based system one point for a regular win minus one point for a regular loss plus two for a lock of the week correct and minus two if you get the lock of the week wrong and uh i'll give you my lock of the week but let me begin with one of my four regular picks and my first one is the carolina panthers over the Cincinnati Bengals. This game is in Carolina Sunday at 1 o'clock. Uh, the Panthers are a three-point favorite in this one at home. And Cincinnati, you know, kind of flying under the radar to begin this season. And maybe that's helped take some pressure off those guys. They're 2-0 to begin the year. I mean, is Cincinnati good enough where they can begin the season this 3-0 this season? Are they that good? I don't think so. They're going on the road to Carolina. Look, the Panthers, they haven't looked great, right? Carolina is 1-1. They're coming off a loss to the Falcons in Atlanta, a 31-24 loss. But that was a tough game in Atlanta. Carolina, I think because they're at home and because I'm not buying into Cincinnati beginning the season 3-0, I just think this is going to be a win. If this one was in Cincinnati, maybe I'd be thinking a little differently. Because this is in Carolina, 
I am leaning heavy on Cam Newton and the Panthers. Once again, you know, Christian McCaffrey, just, he's going to have another big day. Dump off, dump off, dump off. Um, so keep that in mind in your daily fantasy. But, I mean, it's Carolina. I cannot pick against them in this one because they're at home. I'm taking the Panthers to win straight up over Cincinnati Sunday at 1 o'clock. Then I'm going with the Jacksonville Jaguars to beat the Tennessee Titans this game in Jacksonville Sunday at 1. Now, as I'm recording this podcast on Thursday morning, this one's off the board for a couple reasons. One, Marcus Mariota. He's got an elbow injury. Will he play? I don't know. He didn't play in the last game against Houston last week. Blaine Gabbett played for Marcus Mariota under center. Blaine Gabbett actually led the Tennessee Titans to a win over the Houston Texans. I didn't see that coming, but he did. So we don't know about Mariota's status. And also Leonard Fournette, who did not play against the Patriots last week, and still Jacksonville, they still beat the Pats. So we don't know about those things, but I'll make this pick even with the idea and the mindset that those two guys are going to play. I'll make this pick as if Mariota's playing. I'll make this pick as if Fournette's playing. And I'll make this pick as if both of those guys are playing completely healthy. And I will still take Jacksonville to win this game at home. Look, this one could have letdown game for the Jaguars written all over it. Because the Jaguars, that was their Super Bowl last week against the New England Patriots. And they went all out for that. But uh, I just don't think Tennessee... Look, if Tennessee was, you know, maybe an NFC powerhouse or an AFC powerhouse, then maybe I'd be saying a team could go into Jacksonville and win this game. I do not think Tennessee is going to be a team that's going to be able to do that. It is a divisional showdown, so maybe it is going to be somewhat close, but I would still take Jacksonville to win this game straight up. Uh, They showed a lot against the Patriots. I wasn't... Maybe I wasn't giving Jacksonville enough credit heading into the season. I actually thought they'd have a a year in which they'd come down to earth a little bit. But that's a big win for them last week. Uh, Maybe I was wrong on Jacksonville. Maybe they are for real. And maybe they are for real once again. So I'm going to take Jacksonville at home to take care of business against Tennessee. Give me the Jaguars in this one Sunday at 1. Then I'm going with the Houston Texans. Over the New York Giants, this one is in Houston Sunday at 1. The Texans are a six-point favorite. Houston is looking for their first win of the season. In fact, both of these two teams are looking for their first win of the season. The Giants are 0-2. The Texans are 0-2. But if you look at these two teams and you said, which one is going to get their first win first? I'll I'll take Houston, especially since it's in Houston, right? You know, I, I think when you are picking just straight-up winners, and you're picking teams early in the season that might have some desperation, wouldn't you rather have the team that's playing at home in front of their own audience when they're on defense and that place is rocking, and you have a defense like the Houston Texans? I will. Look, it's a six-point spread. I don't know that I would take Houston to win by more than six, but this could be a three-point game. Uh, The Giants, if you watch them this season, they don't look very good at all. Eli Manning looks terrible. They're going to blame his offensive line. But re- in reality, it's really just Eli Manning. And and I don't know if things are going to change for them in this game in Houston. I think the Giants need to be able to turn it around. They need a home game against a team that isn't as talented as Houston. The standings don't show Houston to be all that talented because, again, Houston is 0-2. But I just feel like they have too much talent to lose this game and to begin the season 0-3 especially playing against an 0-2 Giants team. 
uh, in Houston. So I'm taking the Texans to win this one, take care of business at home. They might not cover the six-point spread, but Houston, I'm just picking a straight-up winner. Give me the Texans over the Giants Sunday at 1. Then my fourth and final regular game, the New England Patriots. I already told you. They're a six-and-a-half-point favorite in Detroit on Sunday Night Football. You know, the Patriots are trying to bounce back from a loss in Jacksonville in which they just looked absolutely horrible. I was blaming the Patriots coaching staff. I still blame the Patriots coaching staff. I told you I like the Josh Gordon trade. I don't know how you couldn't like it. Um, I just, even if Josh Gordon doesn't play, I don't see how the Patriots lose this game. They're going up against their former defensive coordinator in Matt Patricia. You know they're going to have some extra motivation trying to make him look stupid. I mean, the Jets made Patricia look stupid. The Patriots know that. They don't want to not make Patricia look stupid after seeing that. Look, the Lions are 0-2. You know, there's also there's always some big play potential with Detroit that's just sort of lingering with them, but it, it, I just don't see it happening. If the Patriots had beaten Jacksonville... Maybe Detroit would have a better shot in this one because it's in Detroit on national TV. But the Patriots are coming off a loss, and that just usually doesn't bode well for their next opponent, especially when they're coming off a loss in which they looked like complete dog shit like the Patriots looked against Jacksonville. So even with it, I don't know how much Josh Gordon's going to play if he plays at all in this game, but let's say he doesn't play. I still think the Patriots turn things around. I still think they put the ball in Tom Brady's hands to throw, 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 and try to make Matt Patricia look foolish. Patriots will not begin the season with a one and two record. They will win this game. Will they cover the six and a half points? I'm not telling you to go there. I'm just telling you to take the money line and take the Patriots to go into Detroit and win this game. To me, there's no way they lose. I almost made it my lock of the week. I'm taking the Patriots over the Lions in that one. But the reason I didn't make it the lock of the week is because the lock of the week is possibly my lock of the year, okay? So, lock of the week. Here it is. The Minnesota Vikings at home over the Buffalo Bills. The Vikings are a 17-point favorite. I'm not telling you to... I'm not telling you they'll beat them by 20. You know, crazier things have happened in this league where a team out of nowhere maybe keeps a game close, especially with Kirk Cousins as the quarterback on the other end. Kirk Cousins shouldn't have won the last game. Minnesota should not have won their last game against Green Bay because Clay Matthews had a perfect hit on Kirk Cousins and it resulted in a Kirk Cousins interception that should have costed Minnesota the game. Should have cost Minnesota the game. Instead, the refs threw a flag on what I called the most perfect hit in the history of contact sport. Clay Matthews hit on Kirk Cousins that forced an interception late in that game that should have won that game for Green Bay. Was That hit was the most perfect hit in the history of contact sport. And the NFL still found a way to penalize Clay Matthews for it. And it ended up in a tie, but Minnesota should have lost. Regardless, they're at home against Buffalo. Have you been paying attention to the Buffalo Bills? They're 0-2 to begin the season, but not just that. LaShawn McCoy's banged up with fractured ribs. He might try to play through some pain. We'll have to wait and see. But cornerback Vontae Davis... He retired at halftime of the game last week. Retired. Straight up went into halftime and said, I'm out. I quit. Not just this season. Not just this game. But my career. I'm hanging him up. He retired at halftime. 
Does that say more about Vontae Davis or the Buffalo Bills? Maybe a combination of both. Buffalo is terrible. I wouldn't touch them at all this season. In fact, if you're going through a lock of the week, which I'm I'm actually thinking of doing this. If you're going through a lock of the week this season, and it's not a survival league where you can only take a team once, and you're not doubling up, just pick against the Bills. Right? I mean, just pick against the Bills. That's all you really got to do. So, I mean... Especially when the Bills are on the road in Minnesota against a team like the Vikings. To me, this isn't just lock of the week. This is lock of the year. And when I do go to podcast1sportsnet.com, I see that really everybody and their mother in this contest has the Vikings as their lock of the week. So it's kind of an easy two points for everybody. Maybe there'll be one or two people that will that will see that and think outside the box and go... No, I'll take another team, and I'll just sit there and root for Buffalo for the upset all day. Um, It could happen. You know why? Because my locks of the week the last two weeks have resulted in extreme nail biters. So uh, I'm not telling you to take Vikings minus 17, but I am telling you to take them to win the game. Lock of the week. Do I get extra points for lock of the year? Do I? If I claim it as my lock of the year, do I get extra points? I don't know, but if you think I'm going to sit here and take anybody else other than the team that's playing the Bills this week, you're out of your friggin' mind. Give me Minnesota over the Bills in Minnesota Sunday at 1. The Vikings are my lock of the week. So my picks for week three in the NFL, I'm taking Carolina over Cincinnati, Jacksonville over Tennessee, Houston over the Giants, New England over Detroit, and Minnesota as my lock of the week over Buffalo picks picks for week three in the NFL presented by bet online with college football and the NFL in full swing now is the perfect time to make your online wages at betonline.ag and take full advantage of the best bonuses in the business sign up today at betonline.ag and use promo code podcast one to receive a 50% bonus betonline.ag your online sportsbook experts and also the exclusive partner of podcast one sportsnet betonline.ag so those are my picks that's a look at nfl week three i will react to it all on monday's podcast as i always do and uh with that said we'll move on from football for the rest of the show because there's some other exciting stuff going on major league baseball the postseason is almost here just a couple weeks away and as you know if you listen to me i am all in on the major league baseball postseason and uh the red sox you know are going to be playing you know they're going to win the division the question right now is when are the red sox going to win the division the first two games of this series against the yankees that's currently taking place And again, I'm recording this on Thursday morning, so I'm recording this before the game on Thursday night, the third game of this three-game series, in which it's going to be Eduardo Rodriguez versus Masahiro Tanaka to close out the series, and of course, then the Sox go to Cleveland, their magic number's two, all they got to do is beat the Yankees once in this three-game series, and they're celebrating in the Bronx with their third straight division title. Um, even if they get swept, if they, if the Red Sox get swept by the Yankees, they're still going to, Red Sox are still going to win the division. They're still going to win it, right? They'll win the division. So, but it'd be nice to do it in New York. The reason it didn't happen Tuesday night is because the Red Sox bullpen blew it. 
A lot of people now in this town getting really stressed out about the Red Sox bullpen. And I'm not going to lie, I'm one of those people. The problem is, you know, the one thing that prevents me from going all in, smashing the panic button is I just feel like bullpens, like I've seen bullpens come into their own. I've seen guys step up in unusual spots. I've seen bullpens have success that I didn't have any confidence in whatsoever. I've seen it. So, you know, I I think you got to work your matchups in the postseason if you're the manager. You know, that's part of it. Obviously, those guys come out in the mound, they got to get the job done. You know, if you want me to tell you who I feel confident in in that Red Sox bullpen, I mean, it's... I, 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 I'll tell you that when it comes to the whole Red Sox rotation, really it's just Chris Sale. And even because of the injury stuff he's been dealing with and his lack, lack of success in the postseason, you know, I'm hesitant to go all in on all my confidence with Chris Sale. So, you know, there's just so much to question with this pitching staff. We're just going to have to see how it plays out. But I've seen pitchings. I know for a fact that there have been pitching staffs with this Red Sox organization that I have questioned, that I have not had confidence in, that have gone into the postseason and got the job done. I know that. I know that. I know it's happened. I've seen it happen. Um, I've seen the Red Sox bullpen. I've seen them have championship bullpens that were bullpens that we ne- we didn't expect to to lead the Red Sox to championships. I've seen it. So. Yeah, it's concerning. I'm not, I'm not saying you shouldn't be concerned. I just, what's preventing me from smashing the panic button with the pitching staff on the bullpen is that, you know, October is is a different beast. And right now, it doesn't look like any of those guys are going to have what it takes to be successful in October with some pressure out to clinch this division in the Bronx and blowing that one on Tuesday night. But, but I think that when you factor in how good this offense is, when you factor in that it really is still going to come down to what the starting pitching can do for you. You know, what, what, like, and those two things combined, are they giving you, are they handing it off for a 2-1 lead in the bullpen? Or are they giving you a 4-1 lead? Right? Or, or, or are you going to the bullpen down 5-4? to four? I mean, it's, you know, it, to me, it begins and ends with the starting rotation. And the reason that, that leads me to what happened Wednesday night, the reason the Red Sox didn't clinch Wednesday night last night, is because David Price let up a couple home runs. What you saw in this game Wednesday night was obviously David Price struggling in the Bronx once again. Uh, Not very good against the Yankees, but especially not in the Bronx. So, you know, I I, I do think that if you're Alex Cora, you find a way to, if the Red Sox play the Yankees in a series in the postseason, if you're Alex Cora, you have to find a way to make sure that David Price starts at Fenway against the Yankees. You have to. Now, in fairness to David Price, I'm actually not looking at that game Wednesday night going, that's on him. That's on him. I'm not. And and I I let David Price hear it a lot on this show. I criticize him a lot. But I don't look at that game Wednesday night and think, that's on him. Some bullshit home runs to right field, weren't they? They were pop-ups. Those were fly balls. Those were outs. And yet, at Yankee Stadium, their home runs. Come on. Here's the difference, though, last night. I will say there was a difference in the two starting pitchers. David Price, Luis Severino. What we saw last night 
was the difference between a 93-mile-per-hour fastball in 2018 in this league and a 98-mile-per-hour fastball in 2018 in this league. David Price with a 93-mile-per-hour fastball. Luis Severino, 98. Severino was getting swings and misses. Price, eh, they were just kind of putting the bat in the ball and it went the opposite way. They went to right field and it gets out of the it gets out of the yard. Goes in the seats. You know, if David Price is pumping 97, 98, he's probably blowing it by guys too. So, I mean, that's the difference. That was the difference to me. Um, I didn't necessarily think the prices, you know, prices pitching was was all that bad. I mean, the terrible error by Nunez. What was that in the? Was that in the second inning? The ground ball to third in the second inning. Eduardo Nunez playing third base goes through his legs, scores two runs. That's an easy out. That's the end of the inning, and it's a one nothing game. Instead, through his legs into the outfield, two runs scored. 3-0 Yankees. So, I mean, there were some other things going on. My question with Nunez at third, where's, you know, where's Devis? Where's Rafael Devis? Where is he? Confused with that. I am confused with that. I know he's been banged up this year as well. But uh, I, I just like to see Devis at third moving forward here down the stretch. I know it hasn't been the best season for him, but... I, I still like Devis in the lineup every day and at third base. So if they could get back to that, that would be great. But look, the Red Sox are going to clinch the division. And I know people aren't happy with the way this series has played out, at least through the first two games. For all I know, they clinch tonight on this Thursday night. And by the time you listen to this, they already clinched the division and everybody's happy about it. Right? I don't know. Maybe Eduardo Rodriguez dominates. I, I don't know. But... They're going to clinch, and they're going to be in the playoffs. And to me, it's going to come down to the starting pitch, and it's going to come down to sale and price. That's what it's going to come down to. And if it's against the Yankees, what we learned this season, and maybe not just this season, but what we learned is that David Price is going to have to start his games against the Yankees at Fenway. Okay? That's what we learned. So, you know, it's they, they have what they have with the bullpen. And I just think this is the team you're going to see. Give or take maybe an injury or two and a couple, um, some movement in the infield. I, I just, I think the Red Sox right now are a team that needs to just get to October and we need to see what some of these guys are going to be in October. And when I say some of these guys, I really do mean more than anything, sale and price. Because that is what it's going to come down to, right? It is. So, um... Keep an eye on the rest of this Red Sox-Yankees series, and I will react to whatever happens also in the, the series against Cleveland on Monday's show. But uh, there's some other stuff going on in the world of sports outside of the NFL and Major League Baseball, and that's in the NBA. And there was some big news that broke yesterday on Wednesday as the NBA gets set to begin their season. Uh, Jimmy Butler wants out of Minnesota, does not want to be a Timberwolf anymore. Timberwolf, right? A Timberwolf doesn't want to play for the Timberwolves anymore. Jimmy Butler wants out of Minnesota. He's asked to be traded to either the Clippers or the Knicks, but people who are well-informed in the NBA are reporting that 
Jimmy Butler desperately wants to be in L.A. to play for the Clippers, and they're also connecting the dots there with possibly Kawhi Leonard joining them as a free agent next year. Now, I think the biggest problem with Jimmy Butler demanding a trade right now is that, you know, if you're Minnesota, of course, if you have to trade Jimmy Butler, if there really is that big of a beef between him and Carl Anthony Towns, which is what some of the reports are saying the reason for this trade demand are, then, you know, I, I don't think, if you're Minnesota, you don't, you, don't, you don't have any leverage, really. Like, what leverage do you have if you're Minnesota? Other teams are going to look at it and say, well, these two guys are beefing. Is that really something you want to let play out with your, you know, young organization? Wiggins, Carl Anthony Towns. You know, you also want to make sure you can try to keep Carl Anthony Towns happy to keep him there long-term, right? So, you know, you can't keep Jimmy Butler, and he wants out. So if you're the Clippers, oh, you got leverage. Because you're like, not only does he want out, not only should you not want to keep him and Carl Anthony Towns on the same team anymore, but we're the only place he wants to go, and Jimmy Butler's going to be a free agent next year. Oh, there's no leverage for Minnesota. No leverage. So, um... I don't know what they're going to get in return, but the Clippers could just, they could just slap around the the Timberwolves with this trade, couldn't they? Couldn't they? I mean, they could just slap the Timberwolves around. So we'll see what happens, but uh, Minnesota, this is a tough spot for the Timberwolves. Tough spot. What do you do? You can't, I mean, if, if the reports and the rumors are true, and I don't know that they are, but let's say they are. What's the report? What's the rumor? You know. If you don't know, I'll tell you. The internet rumor, and of course you can believe everything you hear on the internet. (laughs) That's sarcasm if you can't tell. The internet rumor is that Jimmy Butler was sleeping with Carl Anthony Towns' girlfriend. Obviously, that doesn't go over well with Carl Anthony Towns, which ultimately creates a fight or a poor relationship between Jimmy Butler and Carl Anthony Towns. And you'd like to have a good relationship there. So if that relationship is completely broken, Minnesota's going to have to make a move. Going to have to make a move. Now, if Jimmy Butler, if they try to send him someone that Jimmy Butler doesn't want to go to, they're still not going to get a lot because that team is going to be like, well, we're only going to rent them for one year. We're not giving you a lot. Right? We're not giving you a lot. And if Minnesota's like, we're going to hold on to him, That might be a bad idea for the organization, one. And two, he's just going to walk in free agency and they'll get nothing for him. Wow. The more you do break it down, Minnesota is screwed here. They're screwed. They are absolutely screwed. And, you know, the Clippers, it looks like it's just going to reap the benefits of this. Right? So we'll see how it plays out. But that's that's news. Uh, My reaction to it is just that I feel bad for the Timberwolves. Because... They are in such a tough spot now. Such a tough spot. The only thing that you can really do if you're Minnesota, I think, is maybe a three-team deal now. Now you got to go three-team deal to try to squeeze a little extra out of somebody else. Right? you got to go three-team deal. And you then have to, you have to say to a team, we're going to get you this, you give us that. You know, now you have to, all right, you're going to make the Clippers happy with Jimmy Butler. You need to find a way to get another team something to make them happy enough to give you something more than what you're just going to get from L.A., from the Clippers. I should be an NBA GM. Should I not? I should be a GM at some level. But uh, 
it's t- I feel bad for the for the Timberwolves. Did I say Vikings earlier? Well, I got football on my mind. I meant Timberwolves. I feel bad for Minnesota. Because they are in a lose-lose unless they can get creative as fuck with a three-team deal and also kind of get somebody to help them out with that. If the third team comes in, they're kind of helping them out. But if you help them out, you know you're going to get something out of it, thinking, hey, we weren't going to get this extra draft pick anyways. Let's jump in, get involved. I don't know. Maybe maybe Danny Ainge gets involved. We've seen him get involved in some things before as a third team. Maybe he gets involved and says, yeah, I really have no business getting involved here, but if I can squeeze out another draft pick out of the whole thing, then what can I do to help? What can I do to be the third team in? Right? But, but this, here's what this also does. Because the Jimmy Butler rumors, you know, yeah, you're hearing the Clippers. I wouldn't completely rule out the Knicks. In fact, the best thing for Minnesota would be to get the Knicks involved. Right? Because then there's a bidding war. Then you get some leverage back. If the Knicks do get involved to be as serious as the Clippers are, landing Jimmy Butler, then we know there's some truth to the rumors that maybe Jimmy Butler and Kyrie Irving were having discussions this past offseason about both leaving to go for the Knicks next year, to go to the Knicks next year. You know, it was a concern to some people, including myself. So if anything, maybe this sheds some light on the Jimmy Butler, Kyrie Irving to the Knicks rumors. And maybe there was some truth to that. We'll see how it plays out. But my reaction to it all is that I feel very bad for the Minnesota Timberwolves as an organization because they, unless they get a team to try to go all in and create a bidding war with the Clippers, Minnesota is screwed because they cannot keep Jimmy Butler if the relationship is as bad. If the relationship isn't as bad as maybe the internet rumors say, and if this trade demand maybe wasn't as, you know, um, concrete as, as they're making it sound, then maybe there's a way to, I don't know, can you pay Jimmy Butler something to, to make him happy? If, if the relationship between Carl Anthony Towns and Jimmy Butler isn't, isn't as damaged as everyone's saying, is there another way to make Jimmy Butler happy? You know, we'll see. But I feel bad for Minnesota. That's all. That's my reaction to it. Um, but that's the sports news of the day, of the week, heading into the weekend. And I'll close out the show. I told you just some quick thoughts. This is more of a local storyline with some of my local listeners. And it has to do with the development in my neighborhood in South Boston, the heart of the city in Southie. It's a place that everybody wants to now move to. Everybody wants to come to Southie. And, you know, it's, it's, it has its positives, but it also has its negatives. You know, the, the positives are that everything in the neighborhood is improving. Every, things are improving in the neighborhood. It's a much, much nicer neighborhood now than it was maybe even 20 years ago. And not to say that it was a, a, a dirty neighborhood, but you get what I'm saying. Like, you have all these nice new restaurants. It's just, it, it, look, things have improved. And the more people want to come here, the more they, they're going to improve. You know, those are the positives. The negatives of that, there are so many people coming in to the neighborhood that it's congested to a point that it's not safe. It's just not, it's not really safe. There's so many cars on the road. Every time you look, there's, there's another car accident. I mean, I think you can combine it with the Ubers and the Lyfts and, and the fact that there's just so many of them. I mean, there's just, it's, there's so many people. There's too many people. And you start to notice it a little bit more in the fall. 
because people on a way on vacation, you know, they don't go to Nantucket for the week. They don't go down the Cape. Uh, they don't go out of town to visit family for a summer vacation. I mean, everybody's in town, right? Everybody's in the neighborhood. And these last couple of weeks, you see just how congested it can be when everybody's here. And they're only moving more and more people into the neighborhood because they continue to build. They continue to develop. They continue to throw these condos all over the place, you know, just like that. And it's a moneymaker for these guys. It's a moneymaker for them, right? They're just taking advantage of you know, the business boom in the area, but, but also what comes along with that is that people come, they move to Boston, they, they got a job downtown, they got to live somewhere. And Southie is the most accessible part of the city, part of the, you know, it's the most accessible part of the city to downtown if you're working downtown. So, I mean, it's a place that people are going to continue to move to, especially if they keep developing. But the more they develop, right on top of everybody in the neighborhood, the more congested it becomes and the more you start to look at some of the negatives that have come with everything that's happened to the neighborhood over the last 15 years, 20 years. And uh, so there was a meeting last night on Wednesday night that I attended. Now, I attend a lot of these meetings, actually. I sit in the back, I listen, I laugh. Um, I, I do know that, you know, there's an entertainment value to these meetings because there's always someone that changes the topic to something else, <laughs> like another problem in the neighborhood. And I'm always interested to see wh- how, like, it is beautiful. It's a beautiful thing to stand up at one of these meetings for one of these people to stand up and say, yeah, I know we're here talking about this, but here's what I want to talk about. But they do make it a somewhat smooth transition. And I'm always amazed that at how they make it so smooth, that transition, to a whole nother topic. It's entertaining, right? So I've attended, I remember, what was it, like 15 years ago, I was attending meetings for all the development they were going to do down the seaport. And in fact, when they ran all these development meetings for the seaport, they did it in the neighborhood of South Boston. These meetings can be crazy. The seaport stuff... I don't think they were completely truthful about that when you see what what has gone on. But at the same time, you can't get too worked up about it if you're in the neighborhood because guess what? Guess what? That's in really that's on the other side of the Summer Street Bridge. And it's not necessarily in the neighborhood. It's not necessarily on top of you. The meeting I went to last night had to do with development. That is going to be on top of us. That is on our side of the Summer Street Bridge. It's on Ellen First. You see Edison there right now. Um, I'm not telling you they should keep Edison up. They, they shouldn't. Right? They shouldn't keep it up. But I am telling you that they shouldn't go through or shouldn't be able to go through with the plan that they threw at us last night at this meeting. Look, I think it was an important meeting. I think it was important for me to hear what they had to say, to see the plan that, that they had put together. But I can tell you that it is a wacky plan. It was a wacky presentation. You want me to describe the presentation and the plan for, what's gonna, for what they want to replace Edison? I'll describe it in one word. Wacky. It's wacky. I was waiting for Elon Musk to come in and talk about the plans for the hovercraft lanes going from the top of the hotel to Sully's. Like, I was waiting, genuinely waiting for that to happen. 
<laughs> and because this is a wacky plan. I almost feel like they're talking about an area that they don't have as much space as they're making it out to be. One. Two, it's right on top of the neighborhood. This isn't down the, down the waterfront. Now you're at M Street Park. You're at Ellen First. You're in the neighborhood. It's funny. They, they never really used the, they never used L Street. They kept using Summer Street. They kept pounding that home. That was the first thing that jumped out to me. They did, I don't think they used L Street. They didn't use the words L Street once at this meeting, which kind of tells you they're afraid to do that. You know, some people could say, well, once you get past Ellen First, it's Summer Street leading into the Summer Street Bridge. Come on. It's L Street. It's Ellen First. It's not Summer and First. Everybody knows that. You look at Edison. It's on First Street. It's on L Street. Come on. That's what it is. But they didn't want to use that phrase. They're using Summer Street. They're talking about bike lanes, expanding the sidewalks, opening up the road at the bottom of M and First to create a new road. Um, they're talking about the hotel that they're going to put up. They're talking about over a thousand units of apartment space, condos, affordable housing. It's just, it was a wacky plan. And I think because of the area that they want to put this stuff, it's even more wacky. It is. You can't put the stuff that they want to put a hotel over a thousand units. They can't fit it right there because the biggest issue right now in the neighborhood is congestion. It's congestion. You're going to tell me it's basically, well, it's basically a tourist attraction, right? You got a hotel. You're going to have all this stuff. You're going to have, uh, they made it look like another area was going to be like Faneuil Hall Marketplace. Like an indoor marketplace with restaurants and bars. Like Faneuil Hall. This isn't downtown Boston. This is a neighborhood. This is a, a community that instead of looking to throw a hotel and a thousand plus units of space at Ellen First, when you take Edison down, you should be concerned about the safety in the neighborhood. Because it's an issue. I told you about the congestion and the negative uh, things that are going on with everybody wanting to move here. Move to the neighborhood. You can't throw, because you, a hotel and over a thousand units, what are we talking? 5,000 people in that one space at the least? I mean, like, they were talking about having auto shows and car shows at that hotel. You want to have auto shows or conventions? This, the convention center is right down the street. I could throw a fucking baseball at it from Ellen First. And then you get the World Trade Center right down the street from that. Don't bring any auto shows to Ellen First. Keep that shit on the other side of the Summer Street Bridge, please. But here's the problem. And, and this might be where we ultimately lose this battle in the neighborhood. Is that this thing doesn't come down to what I want. This thing doesn't come down to what the people in the neighborhood who, who were born and raised here. And even some people who, who have moved here, who lived here now, who have kids. And they're homeowners and, and they don't necessarily want any more congestion. Right? There's too many people. The roads are not safe. Or in the area, in the neighborhood. They don't, they don't want any more people. They don't want 5,000 people thrown on the corner of Ellen First. If, if you have the stance that I have, which is um, 110% against this plan at Ellen First, it doesn't really actually matter what we think or what we want because this comes down to money. How can they monetize that area? How can a group of people that made a presentation Last night, a group of people like that monetize that area. Somebody threw out the idea of putting a park there, which would be great. 
Yeah, put a park, put a couple shops down near the water. Right? Nothing crazy. A park would be nice. I don't know. Put a school down there. I don't know. But you, the thing is, if you put a park, you can't monetize that. No, no one's going to monetize that. And, and all they want to do is monetize that area. And the people who want to monetize it, they have power because they have money. I think the ultimate person in power that's going to make this decision is Mayor Marty Walsh. Right? You know, last night at this meeting, I loved seeing the local po- politicians and the political figures from Southie step up. They they interrupted this meeting. Congressman Steve Lynch did an awesome job interrupting it a couple times, trying to get some real facts out of these people with this wacky presentation. Uh, Senator Nick Collins stepped in. Uh, Representative David Beal. You had Ed Flynn. I mean, the list goes on and on. The people that stepped in and, and the political figures to see them involved and speaking up and interrupting these things. I have been to a lot of these meetings. I don't recall ever seeing it like that, like I saw it last night. So I do know that they're going to fight this one. The political figures in this area, they're going to fight this one harder than they've fought any of these developments that we've seen. This is the one they're going to really fight because if you want to be honest with it, with it all, even if you're one of these developers that's making money off it, if you want to be honest with it, this is really the development in the neighborhood that's going to change shit and... And, and really turn it into a different place, right? This is the one. And that's why I think you see people stepping up, acknowledging that and going, no, this is the one we're going to fight. But I don't know if any of that matters if the mayor wants to go through with it. Because the mayor is in a situation of power. And he might need some of these developers in the future. And there's money involved. <laughs> don't rule that out. There's money involved. We can't be stupid about this. The plan that they have in place is all about making money. Those guys, those people that created this wacky plan for Ellen First, they have a ton of money. They're not going to live there. And if they do, they're going to be in the penthouse suites. They're not going to be in the affordable housing <laughs> units. Okay? But they're not going to live there. They're just making money off it to throw it up. And then they're going to wipe their hands clean and, and, and not worry about it ever again because they'll cash out. They'll get their money. It's all about money. The developers of that, they have a ton of money, which means they have a ton of power. But they wake up every day looking themselves in the mirror going, yeah, I have a ton of money, but how can I make more of it today? You know, it's not a terrible mindset to have. It's a mindset that you got to have to be successful and get money. But... The problem is now there's a major lack of consideration for a neighborhood. A neighborhood that so many people want to be a part of, which means that it's a great neighborhood, does it not? There's a way to improve the neighborhood. There's a way to get rid of Edison. And there's a way to do it without creating even more congestion than there already is. You see, someone like myself, like I am, look, I'm, 35 years old and like I have friends that I went to college with that moved to Southie. I, I, I know whatever people that I, I don't know, played hockey with that have moved to Southie. I know other friends who played hockey with other kids who have moved to Southie. You know, I, 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 I am from Southie, so I have my friends who were born and raised and then I have some other friends who moved in. 
And so, like, I do try to look at things from both sides. And I think the biggest misconception with, with you know, the, the thoughts and ideas that I have about the neighborhood, the biggest misconception is that I'm not willing to approve anything that improves the neighborhood. I'm not looking to approve anything that improves the neighborhood. And that's not true. That's a misconception. I do want to take Edison down. I do want to improve that area. Make it look beautiful. Make it look nice. If there's a way you can throw a couple things down there to monetize it, to create some jobs, so be it. Supermarket? I don't know. You know, you know so be it. Do it. But, and so I'm open to that. But it's the people on the other end, the people who present these wacky plans, and the people who, they support the plan. They're not being considerate to the people that grew up in this area, to the people who are from this area, they're not being considerate to the neighborhood because they see money as well. Anybody who supports this plan, they see one thing, money. That's it, money, money. And usually when there's that much money involved, money's going to win out because money creates power and Powell is always looking for more money. So I don't have a good feeling about it. Even though there were so many political figures stepping in at this meeting last night, which was great to see, I am 110% against this plan that they have at Ellen First. I'm glad they presented it. I needed to listen to it and see it. But if we're being honest about what I saw, it's just my opinion. I don't want to I don't want to see that 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 plan go through. I I think that it will create even more chaos in the neighborhood than there already is. And if you've been to the neighborhood lately, try to drive through on a Saturday afternoon. There is, you, you can't, you should not want to create any more chaos because that is now going against the safety of everybody in the neighborhood. And, uh, it was clear to me last night at this meeting that the people presenting this development plan, they could care less about the safety in the neighborhood. They just did that. That wasn't, that wasn't part of their plan, the safety. And I think we're at a point right now in Southie where we should be thinking about safety more than anything else. It seems like the politicians and the political figures feel the same way. So that, that's good to see, but eh, I don't know what Mayor Marty Walsh thinks. He wasn't there last night and he, he's got the ultimate. Okay. Doesn't he? As, as far as I know, I don't know what he's going to do, but you cannot, have a hotel and over a thousand units at Ellen First. It is wacky. That is how I describe the meeting last night. There'll be another meeting next week. I, I I might have to work, so I'm not sure I can beat to that. But th- I think there's a third one the week after. Uh, I'm gonna try to get to that one. But uh, if you can get, if you're from Salty, try to get down to the meeting. Whether you're for or against it, get down to the meeting. Just check it out. It'll be worth your time. I promise. It'll be worth your time. Thanks for joining me today. Enjoy your weekend. Uh, I will be posting video of Picks Picks for week three in the NFL on my YouTube channel. So subscribe right now, youtube.com slash Danny Picard. You can also get this podcast whenever you want at Podcast One. Go to podcastone.com slash sports. I also link it everywhere. It's on iTunes, Spotify, dannypicard.com, literally anywhere podcasts are available. Oh, yeah, one more thing. Before I forget, actually, uh, I will be releasing a new episode of Pick Up Your Sticks on my YouTube channel later today, which is my video game series. 
NHL 19. It just came out. My partnership with EA Sports. They sent me the game early. Uh, I played my producer, Pete Needham, in a game of NHL 19. So it will be the NHL 19 reveal episode of Pick Up Your Sticks. So make sure you check that out. And again, subscribe to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Danny Picard. Have a great weekend, everybody. I am out. Talk to you again on Monday.